the dog and bone. From the far end there, we have uh, John Lewis, who's head of uh, digital and partnerships at Channel 4. Next to John is Fiona McKinnon, who's the general manager of something called the Pangea Alliance, which is an ad sales alliance of premium publishers, including Turner, The Guardian, Reuters, and The Week from Dennis Publishing. And next to Fiona, we have uh, Guljeet Samra, who's in digital operations at Hearst Magazines. I like the way that the word magazines is kept in the, the title there. I think it uh, shows, shows some commitment. And nearest to me, uh, we have Danny Spears, who's uh, Director of Programmatic at The Guardian. I'd like to bring uh, Danny in here from The Guardian, actually going back a, a year, was regarding a story that um, was in the press, that it's as a quote from a, a, um, one of the magazines, um, The Guardian has commenced legal proceedings against the Rubicon project for the recovery of non-disclosed buying fees in relation to Guardian inventory. The Guardian declined to give any more details, and I believe that's still, that's still an ongoing case, and I wouldn't expect you to comment specifically on a, on a legal case, but um, more generally, what does that incident, from, from your point of view at The Guardian, um, what issues does that bring up about the relationship between big publishers and the tech platforms that they're partnering with? Uh, yes, so you're right. I'm going to be very careful uh, in how I answer this question. I mean, what I won't speak about specifically is... Um, that lawsuit, which is live, as you say. Uh, but what I will absolutely talk about is, um, I suppose, that, that bigger picture. Um, I think what we've, what we've recognised is the fact, uh, I mean, this kind of, you're stating the being obvious to some extent, but our strategy has to be at the very centre of uh, you know, our approach to how we engage with uh, you know, ad tech as much as it is around how we organise our sales team and how we invest in our people. Um, and... I think that's where we've come a long way, um, having recognised some of the really uh, you know, tangible risks. Um, um, and that's where we've come a long way in terms of addressing those, in terms of the processes, the governance uh, necessary to understand which vendors uh, can correlate with our needs as a business, which stand to give us the most value, and which really flips that conversation on its head. We're not now being hunted. Uh, well, we still get inqu incoming inquiries, but it's less about um, you know, us making money for someone else. This is about us, and we've taken back control of, uh, I suppose, their relationship with uh, tech vendors. Have you actually that. done that? Is that a mindset, or is that literally a changing contracts and terms? Uh, the mindset comes first, but you, uh, what, we've, what we've gone and done is uh, instill uh, or put into place very, very rigorous um, you know, pro appraisals of partners, which covers, um, I suppose, policy items uh, like auction dynamics, how fees are taken um, that assert our ownership um, of our data, right. um, and uh, through to capability issues. Uh, you know, we've got a very heavy interest in particular around ad quality uh, and controls. Um, and within that, you know, I think what you realise when you go to that length. Um, how ad tech contracts are structured in such a way that they really don't look after your interests. Um, you know, you've got vendors that want to pass sequential liability to you. Um, you've got vendors who are uh, kind of creating grey space around things like exchange rates and decimal points. Um, you have to be really, really careful with this stuff and you need to be on the front foot. The outcome of that process is, well, we choose who we engage with um, as prospects and then we use our contract to ensure that we get that um, you know, relationship captured in terms that work for us. Uh, and whilst also making sure that they're uh, you know, responsible to the vendor. And we have a curious instance uh, only this week, uh, a vendor telling me that uh, they, they have a 0% fee 
for uh, open marketplace. If there's anything that uh, um, sets alarm bells ringing, it's the assertion of free. Um, and uh, you know where you know you quite obviously do the digging. Um, you know we've already offered them, um, offered to pay them something. Uh, more than zero <laughs> and it creates this really bizarre you know, that that sort of situation mm. that's what we need to get rid of uh, we need to be having honest conversations right. about the value created and i suppose the the exchange of uh, money in return yeah let's unpack this this whole point about kind of over promising and saying things cost zero and so on um john i know you've made a few points to me when we've chatted about this uh, in in the in the past about um vendors it's sort of almost like an arms race of, of promising and then perhaps a question marks about whether they whether they can follow through speak to us a little bit about how you how you sort of test that at channel four and your thoughts well, around that i suppose from a kind of broadcast or vod perspective a lot of the advertising technology that we're engaging with or the vendors that we're engaging with some of this stuff you know either hasn't been developed or is fairly new in its sort of kind of development cycle so I suppose, you know, in my experience, I've been at Channel 4 now about four or five years. One of the challenges that I have is around vendors coming in and saying they can do things that, are that, that, you know, they have the technical capability. And then when you actually work with them, you find out that that technical capability is maybe, you know, half baked or, you know, it's kind of there, not, but not all, all there. Um, and the kind of rigour that we're under in terms of compliance and Ofcom regulations in terms of how we deliver advertising and a viewing experience to our, our customers, our viewers, our users, you know, is, is really important. So, you know, I, I think we talked about it before. I mean, the rebasing of expectation, I think, is really, you know, a real key thing here. Kind of, um, it, it does feel sometimes like a bit of an arms race. You've got a lot of vendors that are, you know, businesses that are owned, you know, or listed, or, you know, it's all about their kind of relative you know, price or stock value if they win a contract, right. um, which I think sometimes gets in the way of, you know, delivering the best service, really. There's so many yeah. points. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All kind of, kind of wrapped up in that. And I don't just think it's um, an issue when it gets to the sales pitch side of things. Um, I think there was the um, uh, Silicon Valley issue this week of 700 million being invested in the blood testing technology company that the tech didn't exist. Yeah. But someone somewhere was had basically for 700 million along the line. So I think one of the challenges in our tech industry as well is that VCs are falling for this, you know, build it and they will come kind of strategy. Um, and also when people go to work at, at these companies, they are sold into the dream. And it's actually just a big marketing effort to kind of either get that VC in or, mm. you know, everyone has to feed their children at the end of the day. But there's a lot in our industry that are doing it through, you know, VC and, and Silicon mm. Valley money. So do you feel that the approach to you is more about fulfilling their their promises so, to their shareholders so they come to than us they are and, to your business? Well, they come to us and it will be, um, you know, can you, all you have to do is, yeah. Yeah. and it will actually be a very big ask for us that all you have to do is, which will, you know, effectively um, require having dev time and huge operational um, uh, time and resource to actually make their product work for us. What I would love to see is more support coming ahead of the game where when people walk through the door, they've thought about my business and how mm. to make it easier for me. Right. But that's very rare. Very rare. I told you that we did speak once yeah. before. You said that you were particularly impressed by a, 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 one of the vendors came in and had done some work on understanding your strategy. Yeah. So how important is that to you at, at Hearst? Uh, so important. I mean, that ad tech partner must fit with our commercial objectives and our strategic objectives as well. So. 
we have you know, invested in editorial resource, we have a brilliant ad product and our technology team, and the amount of time they must hear, it takes five minutes to flick us on, how bad can it be? And three weeks later, everyone's trying to figure out where that right. script goes. Um, that happens quite a lot, and you know, the project is kind of, it, it can leave a bit of a bad taste if, if that happens. And we want it to succeed. Um, you know, we do have a really good partnership at the moment, it's very early days, with Ezoic. I think Ezoic, I mentioned yeah. them to you, Martin. Um, they've gotten to know our business, they've set clear parameters for success, and um, there's a testing framework that we're all on board with. So, yeah, early days, but working quite well so far. That sounds like more like a partnership yeah. approach, and I think for some of these big tech decisions, that's how they, they should be yeah. viewed. It's a rush to sign the contract. And then suddenly you find out that the support's all in the West Coast. And exactly. it takes two days to yeah. well, But yeah. I mean, it takes months to implement a new piece of technology. So you can't be taking vendor meetings every week and just come for lunch and I'll convince you because it literally can take months and months and months to implement anything new. And I kind of think it's like, you know, moving house every time you want to move the furniture around. It's a huge upheaval because you're not just implementing one new piece of technology, but you somehow have to align it with your whole stack, your everything from your forecasting, your billing, all the way through to your reporting. Um, so it, it, it's not an easy task and I don't always feel that that's appreciated by vendors when so, they come to talk to, be, to us. To be fair to the, the vendor side, one, <coughs> one thing that no. we've heard a little bit at uh, Propeller is that um, there might be a conversation with the commercial side of the business, mostly represented by yourselves, and then the uh, technological side of the business kind of beats at a different rhythm or sets different parameters. Is that, is that a fair comment, Danny? Oh, it's a, I mean, I'd agree with everything that's been said. Um, but I think there's kind of an interesting sort of point around this as well. I'll just add, we buy and sell, um, and we'd mm. assert that's kind of underpins, um, you know, our unique position in the market by understanding the entire supply chain. Um, one of the things that we've done, uh, as well as auditing our supply side vendors, uh, we've done that for our buy side as well. And we're having the same conversations from two different angles around the same vendors. And, um, you know, generally, that uh, you know, generally we're having sensible conversations, but there's two wider issues. One is uh, the division of knowledge within companies. Um, so I know that um, you know, the, the mechanisms uh, around how pricing is set in these organisations often sits with a very few people at the top of the organisation. Indeed, there's uh, businesses uh, where you know, the general manager in the UK doesn't actually know uh, what is happening. Um, and then there's uh, a situation beyond that, which, um, uh, sorry, and which, which kind of talks to a wider situation around culture. Um, and I think businesses being able to, uh, I suppose, set their values, um, which, uh, you know, of course, don't go, don't, don't go as far as defining what you can do and what you can't do in every instance, but become that reference point for how you conduct yourselves. Um, I think is really, really important. And it doesn't always exist in these organisations, right. which creates this kind of, uh, this tendency to stray, uh, which is becoming more and more obvious from a publisher perspective. Is this, is this something to do with the, perhaps the fact it might be um, non-UK based, perhaps Silicon Valley, BC backed with a small London or UK or European outpost that doing their own thing a little bit or desperate to meet a target? I think so. And I think there's an element of, um, just informational asymmetry. Right. Um, you know, some of this, um, some of the logic is being held um, back from um, you know the people on the ground, right. um, and which actually puts them in quite a predicament. Um, you know, they're going, they're being put into conversations by those businesses, um, uh, and uh, and being exposed. Quite okay. frankly, all right. In defence of ad tech vendors. Um, it's hard working with publishers and media owners. We've all got our own internal challenges. We all take and 
huge amount of time doing our due diligence on, on who we work with. So it isn't easy being an ad tech provider in the current market, and that's where it's really important to understand the business that the ad tech vendor yeah. is working with. So going so back one to of the, the One of the truths seem to be really do your homework on the business that you're Definitely. talking to and not one size fits all, which is a common sales uh, message, I would think. Uh, I'd be interested to know from the panel where you get your information from about the people that you deal with and to what extent their kind of industry reputation has a has a bearing on it or whether it's just down to the one-to-one um, relationship that, that you build um, notwithstanding that. So maybe I could start with uh, Fiona on that one. Um, again, slightly unique position being an alliance. I 100% rely on the other members of our, our group and I feel like that's one of the benefits. So of, you're very of... influential. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> uh, I, you know, I think it's one of the benefits of bringing brands together and of course the media collaboration being able to bring in revenue for for our publishers is important but there's an opportunity for us and I admit even more so than we do today to be a kind of test bed for different technology to understand what's worked for publishers with similar um, business objectives and business models and to really be able to kind of pull together that kind of circle of trust um, as to who we should and shouldn't be talking to so I 100% take on board peers I also am a little bit Miss Marple. I like to check out who's behind the companies that we're talking to. I feel I've been in the industry long enough to understand good, bad and ugly, no names. Um, and so I also look at who's supporting them, who's backing them, who's the technology mind that's driving it. But more than anything, I look, I look to their peers. Okay, John, where'd you get your info from before assessing a potential partner? Yeah, so it's difficult, right? So again, talking about the point at the beginning that a lot of the technology or the vendors that we're, we're dealing with for some of the areas of our business, this, this technology either doesn't exist or is in its kind of you know, early stages of development. So you obviously talk to the market, you talk to your competitors. I think we've got a good dialogue amongst um, ourselves, ITV and to some extent Sky, in terms of you know, who, who's out there, who's, who's best in right. class. Right, share info. We're engaged on making sure that we've got the best product possible um, and, and that it works, ultimately. But you still, you still get it wrong. You know, this is, this is, this is, these are complex technologies um, that um, you know, are being developed and built, particularly when I talk about, everyone's talking about addressable linear. But, I mean, you know, that's, that's the buzzword at the moment for, for our business and, and my market at the moment. And you know, there's, there's a number of different addressable linear solutions that are out there in the market. Being able to assess and work out which of those solutions are going to work, are going to are going to deliver for you, are going to be compliant, um, are going to tick all those boxes. So this is, is really, addressable really advertising in in, the, in a linear, yeah, in a, in a linear rather than a board. Yeah. So that's a really good example of you know brand new technology that really well, ad, ad smart out, you know outside of ad smart there doesn't there's not any other technology that exists currently in the UK Can I ask a question of priest martin and it's whether you would ever consider building something like that yourself where you say you're always first to market you're looking for that is there any desire within a big business like channel 4 to build tech yes yeah, a really good question um, that's a strate- strategic Sorry. question Went off um, <coughs> and i think you know and this is something actually sort of, sort of leans into one of the other things that we talked about, which is around king-making, which is the other challenge, right? Mm. So, so that is absolutely on the radar, I think, at, at Channel 4 and, and some of our competitors is, you know, should we be doing some of this maybe ourselves? Because what happens is because you, you, you start boiling down and you only get a few tried and tested and almost approved vendors, 
before you know it, those vendors are working for everyone in the market, right. and, and therefore then sometimes the dynamic can Power change the relationship to them as they become so, in the market. So yeah, yeah so it's, it's it's definitely something. Okay, that, that's conscious of um, time. There's only ten minutes left. So um, has anyone in the audience got uh, a question you'd like to put to our panel? Now's your chance to find out how to present ad tech to um, there's some hands waving in the distance that. there. Uh, please say who you are, where you're from. What you're selling. Good afternoon. <laughs> uh, Steve Doyle from Inskin Media. We're an ad tech vendor. So uh, my question is, um, with the adoption of ads.txt, um, I was just interested to see if anybody on the panel had yet had any uh, visibility on ads.cert, which is the, the progression of that, and what that looked like for you um, as a progression of that vendor list, and whether that's something that's going to be a big resource drain for you or something that you're keen to adopt, because it's, we're really keen on it. So I'm just interested in how you might be looking at that. Did you get that one, Danny? Uh, I did, yeah. yeah. And I was uh, just keeping my cards close to my chest. Um, so uh, we're, we're, we're aware of uh, ads.cert, uh, but we haven't invested a huge amount of uh, effort uh, into it at this stage. Can you just explain um, it's taking over from .txt or it's an alternative? I mean, let's, uh, let's get this guy to explain it. Yeah, because I think <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. yeah. Feel free. Um, so ads.txt <laughs> is a, a long list of vendors that are accredited to sell inventory on your website. So you can go and look at that file and see who's um, accredited. So in the example you gave before, someone said we sell with you, um, you'd say Oh, actually, that's not actually on the list. Ads.search, the next progression of that, where you have a certification within that file, which will give you all sorts of information about who that vendor is, where they work, their address, company number, all that sort of stuff. So it gives a publisher an additional level of security on exactly what uh, the vendor who's selling that inventory does and represents and you know, VAT numbers, everything. So it's just that next progression of security in terms of third-party vendors. Anyone on the panel want to specifically? I think. I mean, uh, we, so we're hugely supportive of all of this stuff. We feel very positive about ads.txt. I mean, I've said it before. We've, we we regard ads.txt as uh, you know a, an interesting mechanism, um, you know, to support um, you know, the validation of uh, of of, uh, of programmatic. Um, however, we should also recognise that we're talking about a uh, you know a fix. Uh, for something that uh, stems from a much uh, wider uh, challenge, which is around business models uh, and incentives, it is uh, you know it's been profitable uh, to uh, you know resell inventory to procure inventory um, from non-direct sources. Right. Uh, this creates risk, uh, and this is why ads.txt is necessary. So I think it, you know, th there's a really positive story in ads.txt, um, but I think we, we have to be mindful of you know, the surrounding narrative um, as we go forward, and you know, there'll, be, there'll be more of these challenges. Your publishers, premium publishers, do you, have a, uh, do you, do you find that's a problem that people are s selling your inventory or claiming, making claims that they shouldn't be? It hasn't come up so far. No, no it's interesting. I, um, I spent a few days at a DigiDay conference, and we were tasked with looking at ad fraud and there was publishers from all over Europe there and not one of us thought that ad fraud was a problem when it came okay. to the individual site. Where it's a problem is when you are buying and you don't know the end destination. So I, I find it interesting sometimes that the publishers are constantly being asked to solve these issues when actually it starts where the money starts. And if you don't take that accountability and responsibility as to where you're spending your budget and also building those relationships directly, then you have to take a bit of responsibility if some of that goes on the, you know, by the wayside. Okay. 
I'll just add to that. I think there's the, um, the non-human traffic item. Um, so, you know, we have a, a non-human traffic score less than a percent, 0 0.5. Oh, yeah. uh, we use integral ad science. Um, and, um, you know, we feel very confident. Uh, oh, sorry, it's worth pointing out that, you know, there's browsers and crawlers that create non-human traffic. It's not necessarily fraudulent. Um, but, of course, it's not of value to the advertiser. Um, but based upon where we're at, we feel confident about the, the product that we're putting out to the market in aggregation. However, mm. if we <clears throat> go upstream to Fiona's point, there'll be buyers that tell me that they're buying 6% the Guardian.com right. uh, non-human traffic. So there, therein lies the disconnect, yeah. right? <clears throat> and this is why reselling um, and the horizontal integrations, channel partners, this is why there is an issue uh, with that activity. Okay. Uh, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a, a laundrette of inventory. I, because um, we're not regulated, there's also an issue in discrepancy between the multiple technologies that we're all using on all the different sides. If there was just one way or methodology of counting whatever it is that we are along the way, then think discrepancies, which we all spend a huge amount of time and resources challenging the differences that are trying to align all the different pieces of technology, then that, that's a big factor as well. So regulation plays a part yeah. in that too. But there was, a, there was a question down the front. Tim Norris from MParticle. I'm interested, obviously, this is the MarTech track. We've talked a hell of a lot about ad tech. Um, but everyone would have us know that the ad tech and MarTech worlds are colliding pretty hard and fast. And we start to see a lot of the practices around known consumers infiltrating the way that we advertise and monetize unknown uh, customers. I think it's different for you, John, because you know your audience so well with the registration wall. Um, but does that influence the way that we procure software as well? Are you seeing the IT team now come in and help you to procure traditionally ad tech um, software and, and tools that were perhaps once licensed on very short-term basis, CPM driven, looking at the per unit cost? Are you making smarter decisions inside your organizations to purchase those systems? I'm happy to have a run you have a at crack, that. I think John, John's going to have a crack. I, I was going to say, I hope oh, we're making smart right. decisions. Uh, I'm very sure we are. Um, but on that, you know, we have got, I think there's more of a skill set gap where it comes to sort of procuring MarTech and the right tech to solve the challenges that you have internally to solve processes or billing issues that we've been talking about and integration of wider tech partners. Um, so what you'll see is teams who are already in the business who had the right kind of skill set and the right aptitude to look at these kinds of tools it might not necessarily be their natural sort of fallback point and be able to bring on those new partners, but they'll get sort of extended into being able to deliver those. And usually, you know, they've got the right mindset, so they will go at it. Um, we've got an absolutely, I'm stuck up to my own teams, but a great yield and BI team who are about to do a massive systems rollout internally. And it's, it's going to be a challenge, but they're already thinking the right way about how you engage with stakeholders, how you um, sell it into the leadership and how you sort of roll it out to solve future business problems as well as the current ones. So, yeah, it's going to be an interesting year. Anyone else want to take that? Danny, There's a really interesting sort of point around, uh, I suppose, where commercial, um, you know, start and stop and where procurement do the same. Um, you know, historically, uh, at <coughs> The Guardian, uh, it's been commercial who have got under the skin of things that have, uh, you know, deconstructed systems to understand how they work. Uh, and that creates quite an interesting relationship with the IT team who are, uh, you know, less familiar then. Uh, with RTB protocol, amongst other, uh, other things, um, but I think there, there's a question that comes uh, that arrives around procurement specifically when you know the view of uh, publisher businesses. Uh, sorry, what's become apparent is that the cost of procuring technology on a revenue share basis is obscenely expensive, and actually it often exists as a hidden cost, and that is what we're now doing a very uh, a much better job of articulating to our organisation and our RT, uh, IT people. 
um, you know, to understand how these different commercial models work and why that needs to be you know, the, the, you know, amongst their very first considerations. Okay, I think we're coming, flashing, we're coming towards the end of the, um, the session. Just a very quick final question from me. Um, we, we dealt with some tough truths for our tech vendors. Just in one sentence from each of you, what's your sort of golden tip if you um, get a tap on the shoulder as you're walking out of here today from one of our, one of our tech vendor clients or, or friends? Um, what sort of things should they, should they say to, 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 to float your boat and guarantee that next meeting? John? Well, I, want, I know what they should do. They should, they should under-promise and over-deliver, and I think that's the thing that's, over-deliver, that's right. not happening enough. I'm sorry, Dean, probably, that's what everyone's going to say, but that would be my, <laughs> that would be my, my sort of main theme, is, 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 is vendors coming to you with a realistic, realistic ambitious yeah, yeah. deliverables. Fiona? <clears throat> um, well, I'll, I'll use a pun on my Pangea Alliance, but collaboration, be willing to help work with me to better drive my business and by default I should then be able to do the same for you so so yeah um, come in with with a clear understanding of what my requirements are and then be prepared to collaborate and execute on that. Guji, please. I think one thing we'd love to hear is we have locally based support for you. Mm. Locally based support. Yeah definitely. Right. Yeah, good point. Danny. We just want brilliant basics. Uh, we don't need any more magic algorithms or UI. Uh, UIs even, um, you know, just access to our data and sensible conversations um, around business terms. Great, well, useful tips. Um, I think we've come to the end now, so please join me in thanking our panel, John, Fiona, Gulji and Danny. Thank you very much. Thank you.